for our time in the Word. Father God, thank you again for this beautiful day, my Lord. Father, you are our light. You are our strength. You are all that we need. So we come together this morning, Father God, to worship you in spirit and truth, Father God. We are here to hear from you, Holy Spirit. We are here, Father God, to do a something like this. Yes, Lord. To be united in one body, to be the people of Christ, the church. Jesus, I pray that, Lord, that we will wave upon the Lord, Father God. God, we know that you are moving, God. Even when we cannot see, darkness cannot and will never overtake the light.
Jesus. Thank you, Father.
Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. Lord, that you are the great I am. Thank you, Father, that your mercies are new every morning. And thank you yet for another day to gather and open up your word and have a time of fellowship, Father. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are among us, Lord. We thank you, Father, that it is your desire that none shall perish, that all would come to the saving knowledge of you. We thank you that your word is the living word. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you for conviction and for your loving kindness that leads us to repentance. We thank you, Father, that greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. We thank you, Father, that it's not by our might nor by our power, but by your spirit, Father, that allows us to walk upright among a wicked and perverse generation. We thank you, Father, that your hand is upon your people, Father, and that you've called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. And we thank you as we have heard over and over again that the darkness can never extinguish the light. So I pray that today your people would be strengthened. That we would burn ever so bright, Lord. And that those, Father, who will be hearing these words today, if they are not in Christ, that today would be the day of salvation, that they would call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and be saved. And we thank you for that, Lord. Bless the reading of your word and bless our time of fellowship. May it be pleasing unto you, Lord, we ask and we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. The second R of our year of 2021, to resolve, to decide firmly on a course of action and to make up one's mind. Romans 6 verse 11 through 12 is the scripture that ties in with resolve. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. You see, we have to make up our mind. We have to decide firmly on a course of action. And with these three R's, I just want to continue to encourage us that you can't have one without the others. And they have to go in the order in which we have received them. Repentance, resolve, and then release. You can resolve all that you want all day long. You can make up your mind. You can choose to go a certain way. You can release things from your life. You can release people from your life. But if you haven't first repented, if you have not seen your need for a Savior, all of the resolving and all of the releasing works nothing in your life. If you truly want to live in freedom, if you truly want to know what it means to be free, trust in the Lord. Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Understand that it, as we talked last week, it is His loving kindness that leads you to repentance. 
Repentance comes when you humble yourself before a holy God and you see your wickedness and how you are in complete rebellion towards Him. When you humble yourself, when you repent, when you turn from, then you finally can resolve. You can decide and you can make up your mind trusting in the Lord. Trusting in who He is and all that He has said and that He is faithful to complete that which He has begun in you. You lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways you acknowledge Him. And He will make your path straight. He will guide you. He will grow you. He will mature you. As you decide firmly on a course of action, as you make up your mind to follow Christ, to trust in Christ, to not keep going the old way, because you know that in Christ you have been born again of a new nature. And this new nature is completely opposite of the old. They don't mesh together. In fact, the Bible says they are at war with each other inside. But that's why you can trust, you can decide firmly to trust in the Lord and know that He is for you, He's not against you. That He has called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. To really resolve, to really to decide firmly, to really make up one's mind is to truly know who Christ is. And, and, and truly understand the gospel. To truly understand it's the power of God working in you and through you to accomplish His purpose. Because it's all for His glory. So are you learning to resolve? Are you learning to decide firmly on a course of action? Are you making up your mind to follow Jesus? Remember, Jesus himself tells his disciples and those that are following him, consider the cost. It's going to cost you everything. He he lays out the call of a disciple to deny yourself, to pick up the cross, and to follow him. See, you have to decide firmly. You have to make up your mind. There's no other God. There's none like Him. You have to fully give yourself to Him. This is God, you all. I'm going to read through the I Am's. If you've been around me long enough, I've shared them with you. It's fully deciding to make up your mind, to know who you are in Christ, day in and day out. Listen to this understanding. I am a child of God. Romans 8, verse 16. I am redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Psalm 107, verse 2. I am forgiven. Colossians 1, verse 13 and 14. I am saved by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, verse 8. I am justified. Romans 5, verse 1. I am sanctified. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 17. I am a new creature. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. 
I am a partaker of his divine nature. 2 Peter 1.4 I am redeemed from the curse of the law. Galatians 3.13 I am delivered from the powers of darkness. Colossians 1 verse 13. I am led by the Spirit of God. Romans 8.14 I am a son of God. Romans 8.14 I am kept in safety wherever I go. Psalms 91 verse 11 I am getting all my needs met by Jesus. Philippians 4 verse 9 I'm casting all my cares on Jesus, 1 Peter 5, 7. I am strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, Ephesians 6, 10. I am doing all things through Christ who strengthens me, Philippians 4, 13. I am an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus, Romans 8, 17. I am an heir to the blessings of Abraham, Galatians 3, verse 13 and 14. I am observing and doing the Lord's commandments, Deuteronomy 28, verse 12. I am blessed coming in and going out, Deuteronomy 28, verse 6. I am an inheritor of eternal life, 1 John 5, verse 11 through 12. I am blessed with all spiritual blessings, Ephesians 1, 3. I am healed by his stripes, 1 Peter 2.24. I am exercising my authority over the enemy. Luke 10.19. I am above only and not beneath. Deuteronomy 28.13. I am more than a conqueror. Romans 8.37. I am establishing God's word here on the earth. Matthew 16.19. I am an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. Revelations 12.11. I am daily overcoming the devil. 1 John 4.4. 4. I I am not moved by what I see, 2 Corinthians 4.18. I am walking by faith and not by sight, 2 Corinthians 5.7. I am casting down vain imaginations, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 and 5. I am bringing every thought into captivity, 2 Corinthians 10.5. I am being transformed by a renewed mind, Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. I am a laborer together with Christ, 1 Corinthians 3.9. I am the righteousness of God in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.21. I am an imitator of Jesus, Ephesians 5.11, and I am the light of the world, Matthew 5.14. The I am's. Make up your mind. Resolve. Know who Christ is and who you are in Christ. Know your identity. You lack in making up your mind and resolving because you lack in faith and belief in who Christ is. Because if you know him for who he is, you will not lack in your obedience. Understand that. If you know who he is, you will not lack in your obedience. We are called to obey. To obey, and we cannot take that lightly. Not in the day and age in which we are living. Not as it's getting darker and darker out there. And we're not to be spooked because it's getting darker. We're not to grow weary because it's getting darker. Oh no, it's when we to be growing brighter. When we see the world going the way in which it's going, we better be on our face. We better be crying out unto God. Oh God, send us forth to burn bright. Are the embers of faith and hope burning within you? Do you have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness? Do you know the truth and has the truth set you free? Have you firmly decided on a course of action? Have you made up your mind to follow Jesus? Just because you say you're a Christian 
just because you think you're a Christian, just because you strip the word down and make it what you want to be a Christian, doesn't make you a Christian. Call yourself all day long what you want to call yourself. But if you're not in Christ, if you haven't firmly made up your mind, if you haven't made a decision to follow him, to lay your life down because he was pleased to reveal himself to you through his son Jesus. His loving kindness led you to repentance. And you get up and you follow him. You make up your mind and you obey. That's the bottom line. That's the foundation to resolve is to obey. You fully grasp it when obedience is being worked out in you. Oh, that you would know who you are by knowing first who he is. Go to John. We're going to park ourselves in John, and it is the book that we're opening today, but we're going to get back to the introduction and to chapter 1 later. But right now, we're going to look through some scriptures that I pray would encourage us to keep persevering to keep persevering on resolving, making up your mind. It's not a one-shot time. No, it's every single day, throughout the days. You are to be repenting. You ought to be resolving, and you ought to be releasing. It is a new way of living. And I pray that these scriptures would encourage us. So John 14, verse 1 through 14, Jesus, the way to the Father. Let's look at these words. And these are Jesus' words as he is speaking to his followers. Do not let your heart, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am and you know the way to where I am going. Listen to how he opens up here. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Make up your mind. Decide firmly. Resolve to trust in God. And trust also in me, he says. Verse 5, no, the disciple says, Thomas said, no, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said, where, we have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus told him, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Again, highlight, circle it. Another key scripture that you have got to firmly make up your mind. You have to resolve. You have to know that you know that you know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Him. You have got to be sure of who he is and who you are in him, if you're going to stand upright in this crooked and wicked perverse generation. 
You are going to be bombarded left and right with chaos. You are going to be bombarded left and right with false doctrine. You're going to be bombarded left and right with so-called, quote-unquote, Christians who aren't Christians. You're going to be bombarded left and right with the, the, the attractions of the world and with the desires that are from within. And you will cower down and you would cave in if you have not firmly resolved who he is and who you are in him. There's no other way to Jesus. No matter how they want to present it, no matter how they want to lay it out, no, there's no other way. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. And Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am, the fa- that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me, look this, will do the very same works I have done. And even greater works. Because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it. So that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. This is the Lord, you all. The Lord Jesus speaking. Just believe. Just obey. Do you know Him? It is all for the glory of God, you all. Your life now, if you are in Christ, is to be lived for the glory of God. That is your call. That is my call. That is the call of the bride of Christ. And oh, how we are to abide in Him, to remain in Him. We go on here in in chapter 14. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. We're going to finish out this chapter He goes on and says, If you love me, obey my commandments. Do you love him? Have you firmly made up your mind? Have you resolved to the understanding that you love Jesus? And if you love him, then Jesus says, Then obey my commandments. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives within you now and later will be I'm sorry, lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I will live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. 
Those who accept my commandments, listen to this, and obey them are the ones who love me. Highlight that, circle that, meditate upon that. Get to a place where you just resolve to this understanding that you will be one who will accept the commandments of Christ and you will obey them. Let that be the prayer of your heart. And as you are accepting his commandments and obeying them, you are loving him, he goes on and says. And because they love me, he says, my father will love them and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Now Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name said to him, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? And Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. Like, do you understand, are, are you gaining this understanding from the reading of the word of God, from the words that Jesus himself spoke? This assurance, this hope that you have, that as you are in Christ, you are accepted, you are dearly loved by God. That God is for you, he's not against you. You're no longer living in rebellion towards him. No, you're living in obedience not because you're forced to. No, because you willingly laid your life down when you received Him, when you believed, when you, re when you resolved to the understanding that He is the Son of God and that He is risen from the dead. When that becomes your belief and when that becomes your confession, you are born again of a new nature, of a new way. And all who love me, he says, will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. I'm telling you these things now while I'm still here with you. But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. Oh, that you will firmly make up your mind to allow the Holy Spirit to lead you. That you would walk in the Spirit habitually so that you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We are not called to live lives that grieve the Holy Spirit that makes excuses for our rebellion any longer. No, you are to be an obedient follower of Christ. And you have been sealed to the day of, for the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit. You have been given God himself in you. <laughs> oh, that we would submit to his leading. Because he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Resolve, make up your mind, decide firmly that you have received this gift. 
Oh, are you living it out? Do you know who he is and who you are, what you have been given and what you've been called to? Or is it just church? Is it just a form of religion that amounts to nothing? No, when you fully grasp, when you fully know who he is and who you are in him and what he has accomplished for us. Oh, how can we continue to live in rebellion towards him? Listen to what the word of God is saying. Peace of mind and heart. That peace, that word, nothing missing, nothing broken. You are not to be living like the others who are broken because you have been made whole. You say, well, I don't feel whole. It's because you keep looking at your brokenness. You have to, to resolve. You have to decide firmly on a course of action. You have to make up your mind to get up from your mess and your misery and to walk in freedom in Christ. He who the Son has set free is still miserable and broken. No, no, no. He who the Son has set free is free indeed. See, you've got to get up. But my situation hasn't changed. Stop looking at your situation. Stop fueling the desires that are from within and start believing. Start receiving all that Christ has for you. He says, peace I give you. Peace of heart and peace of mind. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you. I'm going away, but I will come back to you again. And if you really loved me, listen here again, you would be happy that I'm going to the Father who is greater than I am. I have told you these things before they happen, so that when they happen, you will believe. I don't have much more time to talk to you because the ruler of this world is approaching. He has no power over me. Oh God, will we just highlight that, circle that, make up your mind, decide firmly that the devil and Satan and any of the demonic side has no power over Jesus. No matter how much they're screaming, no matter how much they're kicking up dust, no matter what chaos that they're building up all around. <laughs> they're not greater than our God. Amen. And we can walk and we can move in the authority of Christ. He has no power over me. But I will do what the Father requires of me. So that the world will know that I love the Father. Come, let's be going. Chapter 15. Jesus, the true vine. Jesus goes on, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so that they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Scripture to encourage you to resolve, to decide firmly on a course of action, to make up your mind. Jesus' words, remain in me and I will remain in you. 
For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. When the desires are flaring up, when the world comes alluring, when the enemy is pressing and breathing down on your backside, remain in Christ, hope in Christ, trust in Christ, be still and know that He is God. Oh, we got to firmly make up our minds. we got to decide on a course of action. So choose this day whom you are serving. we got to stop playing games. This isn't time to be weak-willed and whitewashed. No, it's time to live for Christ. Fruit should be produced in our lives. And the only way is by remaining in Him. We know that we cannot produce fruit if we are cut off from Him. And we cannot produce if we're not remaining in Him. He goes on, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me you could do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you ask me for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Or your life should be producing fruit. Your life is to be lived for the glory of God. If your life is not producing fruit, I've been saying it for years. (laughs) Something's wrong. Listen to Jesus' words. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. So, in other words, if you're not producing fruit, you're not a disciple. You're not following Christ. You're not in Christ. You say, oh, how can you say that? I don't believe it. Look at Jesus' words. Stop allowing yourself to fool yourself into believing you belong when you don't. That's not a new concept. It's been from the beginning. God's people, the Israelites, they thought they were in with God and they were in complete rebellion towards Him. As it is with people who are in the church thinking that they are Christians. In reality, they're not. I mean, look at the the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These were men of God. They were well-scholared. They knew the ins and the outs. And yet, they did not know God. In fact, Jesus says to them, your father is the devil. So let's stop playing games. Let's stop pretending we're in when we're not. And you know good and well if you're in, and you know good and well if you're not. And if you're not in Christ, then why aren't you? Oh, you you better allow the word of the Lord to pierce your heart and heart, to draw you to repentance, to draw you to resolve, and to draw you to release. 
all that has hindered you, your rebellion towards Him, and submit yourself to Him, trust in Him with all your heart. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples, and this will bring glory, great glory, to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. So look at this. Remain in my love. Decide firmly, you all. Make up your mind. Remain in His love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in His love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Highlight that. Circle that. The Christian life is not a burdensome life. The Christian life doesn't rob you of pleasure. No, it is within Christ that you understand the fullness of joy, of peace, of hope. Oh, come on, church. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. Firmly resolve and, 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 and make up your mind on that. And that will lead you daily. Yes. You didn't choose him. He chose you. He says, I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. Love each other. Oh, to resolve to that. To decide firmly on a course of action. To love each other. To make up your mind. To stop being jealous and insecure and wanting this and wanting that. What others have. Not being at peace with yourself, but always longing and looking elsewhere to see some fulfillment. If I only had this relationship, if I only had that, if I could this, if I could that, and you're destroying yourself. It's sin. And you've got to decide firmly that Christ is enough. Christ is enough. He goes on about the world's hatred towards us. In this, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world will love you as one of its own if you belong to it. But you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. Resolve. Firmly make a decision. Make up your mind. You're going to be hated. So stop getting out there watering down the gospel for people to like you. Stop promoting all of their agendas. Hashtag LGBT. Hashtag Black Lives Matter. Hashtag this and hashtag that. It, it's foolishness for the church to continue to try to fit in where she doesn't belong. Of course, all lives matter. 
but we cannot keep going the way of the world and forsaking Christ. Because what good then is the message of Christ to the world if we strip him bare of who he is, of his lordship, of his holiness, of his salvation, of his need to repent? It fascinates me when I hear these so-called Christians who are in arm-in-arm link with the world Out of their mouths, their beliefs are so wicked because they strip Christ of who he is. Then what was the purpose of Christ then, I want to ask them? What are you preaching? What are you linking up with? Your Christ is no Christ at all. It is actually foolishness. He's actually weak-willed and has no power. And here Jesus, Jesus' word says, If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world will love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you're no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. You will be hated as a Christian. You will not fit in to this world. So resolve. (laughs) Firmly decide on a course of action every single day throughout your day. Make up your mind to live for Christ, to honor Christ, to love Christ, and to love others. We don't hate the world. The world hates us. Understand that. We don't hate the world. The world hates us. No, it's because we love the world that we are in the world declaring the good news. You see, Jesus came knowing the world already stood condemned. But remember, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever would believe in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. People have every right to live however they want. And they have every right to live happy. They have every right to have and gain whatever they want to gain and have in this temporal world. They can. And I will be there for the rights of people to live however they want. But understand this. That's all they've got. That's all they've got. Is this temporal life. This temporalness. In the end, that's it. They're going to face the wrath of God. And they will stand toe-to-toe and say, well, I don't believe in that. Well, it doesn't matter if they believe in it or not, it's already established. And I keep telling us, no man can put this together and make it all come together the way it's coming together. Oh, there's no way. There's no way. This is the living word of God. And everything that has been captured in it has come to pass and is coming to pass and will come to pass. So they can live wherever they want. But do not fall prey to their lies, to their rebellion, to their hatred towards you, to silence you. That's what they want. They want to silence you. They would rather rid you 
from their lives. Because you're truth to them. It's the craziest thing. People fight harder to resist the truth and to remain in bondage. How crazy is that? You see, that's just the natural instinct of the flesh. That's just strip the gospel away for a moment if you want. If you really want to see it, look at the drug addict. Look at, look at the, the, the thief or the liar or the murderer or a gossiper. People living however they want, but they're, but they're tearing down. There's nothing good coming from their lives. And you just go and try to encourage them. Again, let's strip the gospel away. Let them know what they're doing is harming themselves and others. And how soon they will turn on you. You see, I keep telling this, the flesh only knows how to do one thing, and that's to die. Oh, we better wake up. The very desires that are from within us is killing us. We're killing ourselves. We're our own worst enemy. And yet we fight for the right to kill ourselves. How crazy is that? Because we just stay trapped to the temporalness of life instead of seeing the fullness of life. See, the world going to hate us because we represent something to them that they don't want. They don't want. They didn't want Jesus, so they're not going to want us. And that's why Jesus says, oh, don't take it personal because they're going to hate you because they hated me. I mean, for God's sake, God himself was among them. God himself was among the men that should have recognized Here's the Messiah. Oh, but no, 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 no. They were threatened by him. They had to kill him. And all along they thought they were doing their plan, but ultimately it was God's plan. Because there had to be a sacrifice. God took upon his punishment. For me, for you. We deserve that. But he took it to save us. Oh, this is great news. This is the hope that we have as believers to share. To look at those that are still enslaved to sin and point them to the light. Point them to Jesus. That's why y'all got to get grounded and rooted in your faith. If not, you're going to be swept away. You're going to be caught up with them. And for what gain? For what purpose? Well, I didn't want to offend them. I didn't want them to judge me. I didn't want to lose my job. I didn't want to this and this and that. Oh, do we understand as the days keep getting darker, it's going to get harder for us. And I've been saying this for years. That's why we have to get rooted. That's why we have to get grounded. Because if we're not even able to stand today, we're not going to be able to stand tomorrow. And you're going to see a great falling away from the faith. Because people are going to be more concerned and moved by their fear than by their faith. God is great and God is good and God would take care of his own. We see it all through the Bible. He is not going to leave us. He is not going to forsake us. But he has called us for such a time as this. And that's why I keep encouraging us. Understand the hour in which you have been purposed. You're not an accident. 
You were purposed for this generation. You were purposed for this darkness. You were purposed for this chaos. Not for it to consume you, but for you to bear light and truth to it. (laughs) But if you're not living on purpose, if you're not living impacted by Christ and through His power, ah, you're no different (laughs) than them. I mean, we're going through the book of Revelation. And again, even as all hell is wreaking havoc, God in His great mercy and His love is still revealing Himself to people. And people even through the, through the tribulation, through the, uh, the uh, of, of everything, the hell that's hitting this earth, there's still going to be people, as we read on Friday, who are going to go into the, to the rocks, into the caves, And they are crying out to the rocks and to the caves to crush them. How crazy. Instead of coming out and calling out to God to save them. Are we kidding ourselves? And then we want to point our fingers at him. We want to blame him. We want to throw all these accusations against him. But they don't stick. Because there's no error found in him. He's full of such great love and compassion for us and towards us. He himself is telling us, he's instructing us, they're going to hate you. He goes on, do you remember what I told you? As a slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me naturally, they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all this to you because of me. For they have rejected the one who sent me. They would, not, they would not be guilty if I had not come and spoken to them. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Anyone who hates me also hates my father. If I, didn't, if I hadn't done such miraculous signs among them that no one else could do, they would not be guilty. But as it is, they have seen everything I did, yet they still hate me and my father. This fulfills what is written in their scriptures. They hated me without cause. But I will send you the advocate, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and testify, and will testify all about me. And you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. I have told you, chapter 16, I've told you these things so that you wouldn't abandon your faith. Oh, highlight that, circle that. I have told you all of this, so don't be surprised. Resolve, make up your mind, decide on a course of action, follow Jesus. I told you all of these, this so that you would not abandon your faith. For you will be expelled from synagogues and a time is coming when those who kill you will think they are doing a holy service for God. This is because they have never known the Father or me. Yes, I am telling you these things now so that when they happen, you will remember my warning. I didn't tell you earlier because I was going to be with you a while longer. But now I'm going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. 
if I do go away, then I will send him to you. And he comes. And when he comes, listen to this. This is an understanding of the Holy Spirit. He will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world sins. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. And so now we live in a generation where, like I said, like this one pastor said the other day, he says the, the devil, Satan is no longer warring against the church. No, he's joined the church. He's joined the church. He's leading the church. He's watered down the gospel. And you have a multitude of people all around the world thinking that they're saved, that they're in Christ, and in reality they're in complete rebellion towards them. They have been deceived. They stripped away judgment. They, they stripped away hell. They stripped away wrath. They stripped it all away. <laughs> and they stripped Christ down. And they're stomping in his blood, making it so common and making him not powerful at all. And that is not Christ, you all. He's telling them, I have to go away so the advocate will come, the Holy Spirit. He's your teacher. He's your guide. Look at what the Holy Spirit does, you all. He convicts the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and the coming judgment. We've talked about this before. We've read through these scriptures before. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, not only for the world, but within you. To convict you of your sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. And what is the world's sin? It refuses to believe in me, he says. They keep living for themselves. They keep going their way. Their desires are defining them. Their rebellion. And I love this next line. He says, righteousness is available. Right standing with God is available because I go to the Father. And judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. There is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will lead you whatever he receives. I'm sorry, the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. This is the hope that we have in Christ. This is the encouragement I'm trying to lay out for us to, to encourage us to keep persevering and to repentance and to resolving and to releasing that we will grow in Christ that we will know who he is, his character, and then who we are in him. I mean, look at the beauty of these scriptures, the hope that is found in these scriptures, that we will not remain the same. Our lack of obedience is not pleasing to God. You know, there's, can I say it loosely? So-called Christians who would say, well, I got my foot in the door, so I'm okay. 
That's what they used to think back here in the day. They thought, oh, I showed up the temple. I did it. I did it. I came. I'm okay. And they were so far away from God. You see, this life, a Christian life, is a life that is an intimate fellowship with Christ. You can't stiff arm him. You could. You could continue to stiff arm him and pretend that you're saved. <laughs> but in reality, you're marked for his wrath. That's why I've always told you and tried to encourage us. The greatest deception is not that you're deceiving others, but that you're deceiving yourself into thinking you're something that you're not. The weight of the glory of God upon you brings you to your knees because it humbles you. And you live a life humble before God trusting in him like oh I, I have seen the wickedness within me but God I've seen your great love towards me and you've made a way for me not to be weighted down by my rebellion any longer but to be lifted up by your love I mean there's no other God like him there's none. And the love of God has impacted your heart and your life. You cannot remain the same. When you truly see him for who he is and all that he's done, when you believe and you confess that he is the son of God, he is risen from the dead, and that begins to mark your life because then you're transformed. You're born again of a whole new nature. Your eyes are open. Your ears can hear now. Are you abiding in Christ? And I'm not telling you it's an easy life because he doesn't tell us. Oh, no. You've become now public enemy number one. But it's not to cause us fear. You got Satan in that realm of darkness that we cannot see, but we know that's there. You got the world, everything in it. And then you've got the desires that are within you. Because remember, that's what the Bible says. Where does sin come from? Where does that rebellion come from? From within that old nature. And those two natures are warring till you take your last breath. But whom are you going to? believe and who are you going to serve? Christ. He, the Bible says he's given us everything we need to live a godly life. He's given us everything we need. That's why you don't have to live in shame and guilt any longer if you're in Christ. Oh, but I got these desires. I got these things that are trying to define me. Get them out in the open. <laughs> Get into accountability. Grow in Christ. <laughs> Honor Christ. Learn and watch things just die. Or if they try to raise themselves back up, you'll be quick to put it back down. Not in your own strength, but in Christ. That's why I told you all to learn to preach yourself happy. Preach yourself happy. Get your eyes off your situations. Get your eyes off all the stuff that's trying to fuel within you. Get your eyes off of 
everything that has tried to define you your entire life and get your eyes on Christ. Because He is your hope in this new life. And you've received the Holy Spirit. And you're not to be living a life that grieves Him. No, He comes to bring conviction. He comes to, to reveal the righteousness of God and the judgment of God. It goes on here. I just want to read verse 15 again. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why he said, The Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. In a little while, you won't see me anymore. But a little while after that, you will see me again. Some of the disciples asked each other, What does he mean when he says, In a little while, you won't see me. But then you will see me. I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to the Father. And what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand. And Jesus realized they wanted to ask him about it. So he said, are you asking yourselves what I mean? I said in a little while you won't see me, but a little while after that you will see me again. I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When a child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new life, a new baby into the world. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And then you will rejoice. And no one can rob you of that joy. At that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth, you will ask the Father directly and he will grant your request because you use my name. You haven't done this before. Ask using my name and you will receive and you will have abundant joy. I have spoken of these matters and figures of speech, but soon I will stop speaking figuratively and will tell you plainly all about the Father. Then you will ask in my name. I'm not saying I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you deeply because you love me and believe that I came from God. Yes, I came, I came from the Father into the world, and now I will leave the world and return to the Father. Then his disciples said, At last you are speaking plainly, not figuratively. Now we understand that you know everything, and there's no need to question you. From this we believe that you came from God. And Jesus asked, Do you finally believe? But the time is coming indeed, it is here now. When you will be scattered, each one going his own way, leaving me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. I have told you all of this, so that my peace, so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. Resolve, decide firmly, make up your mind. Jesus has already overcome the world. Here on this earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart. Take heart, because I have already overcome the world. Jesus' words, you all. Oh, we can't end um, without reading verse chapter 17, the prayer of Jesus. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up in heaven and said, Oh, pay attention to Jesus' prayer. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. 
He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we've shared before the world began. I have received, I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from the world. They were always yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you. For I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it and know that I came from you and they believe you sent me. My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you and you have given them to me so they bring me glory. Now I, depart, now I am departing from the world. They are staying in this world, but I am coming to you, Holy Father. You have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost except the one headed for destruction as the scriptures foretold. Now I'm coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they may be filled with my joy. I have given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, look at this, I'm sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. I am praying not only for these disciples. Oh, perk up and listen to this. You were in Jesus' prayer. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you're loved, because you loved me even before the world began. O oh, righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them. And will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them. And I will be in them. Jesus' prayer right before he was betrayed and arrested you all. I know it's a lot. And I give you a lot of scripture. And I do pray that you do take away. That you just not hear on a Sunday. And you hear it and then that's it. But no, you need to take this and sit with it throughout the week. How is it impacting your life? Because it ought to be impacting your life. You've got to firmly resolve, make up your mind. 
Decide on a course of action. You either believe or you don't. That's what I said earlier. You, you can't say that you're in Christ and you're not obeying Christ. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. What would be the point of the cross? What would be the point of him suffering the way he has suffered? What would be the point of him even coming? If it was just all this fluffy message. No. Do you understand what he endured for us? Do you understand what we have received now because of what he endured for us? Oh, that we will live a different way. That we will trust in the way, the truth, and the life. That we would resolve to decide on a course of action. That we would make up our minds to follow Jesus. Oh, I pray so, you all. Let's go to Judges. Chapter 11 and chapter 12. Judges, the book of cycles. Sin. South, you know, sin, redemption, sin, redemption. <laughs> These are God's people. They're living for themselves. They, they entered into this land that he promised them. They didn't, have to, they didn't have to really do anything. The houses were already built. The, the, the fruit and all the vegetations were already there. Everything they needed to live. And yet God wasn't enough. They kept looking elsewhere, outward at the other nations, and getting attracted to them and to their gods. <laughs> It, doesn't work, it didn't work well for them. And if it didn't work well for them, it's not going to work well for us. We saw last week, we ended last week with them crying out to God. They were in complete... They were overtaken. They were oppressed and, and, and enslaved. Life is just horrific for them. And remember, they cried out to God. And remember what God told them? He was like, yeah, no. I've done this, 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 and this for you. And you keep rejecting me. So I'm not going to move anymore on your behalf. You go to those so-called gods that you're worshiping. Have them save you. I said, what? And he has every right to. But do you remember how they responded? They pleaded. They were like, oh, no, God. <laughs> Punish us. We'll take, it. we'll take your punishment. Just forgive us. And remember what the Bible says? They put away all their gods. They got rid of them. And the Bible says then God was moved. God, I tear up. God was moved. Because of their act of repentance. Like, no, God, no more, no more, God. Like, you're our God. God, we'll take your punishment. Just save us. And yet, He does. Every time. I mean, come on, you all. 
I know a lot of times we focus just on the wrath. Oh, he's a bad God. And oh, it sounds like all you talk, Rob, is about the, the wrath of God. But don't miss out on the love of God, you all. I've always encouraged you all through Scripture. Wherever you see the wrath, you see his love. Wherever you see his love, you see his wrath. He's both. And he's just for his wrath. He has every right. He has every right to send it forth on a people who are rebelling against him. Every right. But yet we see his great love. I mean, they knew. And they humbled themselves. And they put away the idols. Oh, I pray that we would put away our idols. (laughs) That we would be worshiping the true God. That we would know him. That we would be in relationship with him. That you would live a life that honors him. You don't have to make excuses for him to people. You don't have to be like, oh, you know. No, no, no. Stand up. Declare how great he is. Honor him. You don't have to water him down to my people like him. No, no, no. Because there's going to be people all the way to the end who hate him. They will not turn to him. We know this already. So don't cower down to those who want to just lob accusations against God. Oh, how can you? What kind of God is that? I'll tell you what kind of God he is. Oh, we got to grow up. We've got to know him so that we can boldly testify about him. Chapter 11, a new judge shows up. Now Jephthah of Gilead was a great warrior. He was the son of Gilead, but his mother was a prostitute. Ah, you might say, well, what point is that to bring out? Well, he's an outcast. And he said, well, what encouragement can I take from this outcast? God uses him. God uses him. Oh, don't let your past keep defining you. Don't let others who put you down because you haven't measured up or your family's got some shady dealings going on. No, no, no. God uses that and those to confound the wise. He takes the foolishness and uses it against the wise. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter your family's past. It doesn't matter. God will use you if you would just turn to him and trust in him. Gilead's wife also had several sons. And when these half-brothers grew up, they chased Jephthah off the land. Oh, look at this. You will not get any of our father's inheritance, they said. You are the son of a prostitute. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. Soon he had a band of worthless rebels following him. About that time, the Ammonites began their their war against Israel. When the Ammonites attacked, the elders of Gilead sent for Jephthah. And the land of Tob. The elders said, Come, be our commander. Help us fight the Amorites. But Jephthah said to them, Aren't you the ones who hated me and drove me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? Because we need you, the elders replied. 
If you lead us in battle against the Ammonites, we will make you ruler over all the people of Gilead. <laughs> Jephthah said to the elders, let me get this straight. If I come with you, and if the Lord gives me victory over the Ammonites, will you really make me ruler over all the people? The Lord is our witness, the elders replied. We promise to do whatever, I'm sorry, we promise to do whatever you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him their ruler and commander of army. At Mizpah, the presence of the Lord, I'm sorry, in the presence of the Lord, Jephthah repeated what he had said to the elders. Then Jephthah said, sent messengers to the king of Ammon, asking, Why have you come out to fight against my land? And the king of Ammon answered Jephthah's message, When the Israelites came out of Egypt, they stole my land from the Arnon River to the Jabbok River and all the way to the Jordan. Now then, give back the land peacefully. Jephthah sent this message back to the Ammonite king. This is what Jephthah says. Israel did not steal any land from Moab or Ammon. When the people of Israel arrived at Kadesh on their journey from Egypt after crossing the Red Sea, they sent messengers to the king of Edmund, asking for permission to pass through his land, but their request was denied. Then they asked the king of Moab for similar permission, but he wouldn't let them pass through either. So the people of Israel stayed in Kadesh. Finally, they went around Edmund and Moab. Through the wilderness, they traveled along Moab's eastern border and camped on the other side of the Arnon River. But they never once crossed the Arnon River into Moab, for the Arnon was the border of Moab. Then Israel sent messengers to King Shihon of the Amorites, who ruled from Heshbon, asking for permission to cross through his land to get to their destination. But King Shion didn't trust Israel to pass through his land. Instead, he mobilized his army at Jahaz and attacked them. But the Lord, the God of Israel, gave his people over. I'm sorry, give people. Oh, oh my goodness. But the Lord, the God of Israel, gave his people victory. There we go. Over King Shion. So Israel took control of all the land of the Amorites who lived in the region, from the Arnon River to the Jabbok River, and from the eastern wilderness to the Jordan. So you see, it was the Lord, the God of Israel, who took away the land from the Amorites and gave it to Israel. Why then should we give it back to you? You keep whatever your God, Shamash, gives you, and we will keep whatever the Lord, our God, gives us. Are you any better than Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he try to make a case against Israel for disputed land? Did he go to war against them? Israel has been living here for 300 years, inhabiting Heshbon and its surrounding settlements, all the way to Eor and its settlements, and in all the towns along the Arnon River. Why have you made no effort to recover it before now? Therefore, I have not sinned against you. Rather, you have wronged me by attacking me. Let the Lord, who is judged, decide today which of us is right, Israel or Ammon. Uh, and look at verse 28. But the king of Ammon paid no attention to Jephthah's message. Oh, for goodness sake, Jephthah just laid out truth. And the king didn't want to hear it. His mind has already been made. As it is, when you lay out truth to anyone else who is lost in this world. 
if they don't turn and repent and come to Christ, they're going to just put their fingers in their ears and sing, la, 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 la. I'm not even listening to you. You can talk until you're blue in your face, and they will not respond. The king paid no attention. So at that time, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he went throughout the land of Gilead and Manasseh, including Mizpah and Gilead. And from there, he led an army against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. He said, listen to this, If you give me victory over the Ammonites, I will give to the Lord whatever comes out of my house to meet me when I return in triumph. I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Don't forget that. We're going to get to that in a minute. So Jephthah led his army against the Ammonites, and the Lord gave him victory. He crushed the Ammonites, devastating about 20 towns from Aor to, the, to, to an area near Minoth and as far away as Abanir Kirman. And this way, Israel defeated the Ammonites. When Jephthah returned home to Mizpah, his daughter came out to meet him playing a tambor, on a tambourine and dancing for joy. She was his one and only child. He had no other sons or daughters. When he saw her, he tore his clothes in anguish. Oh, my daughter, he cried out, you have completely destroyed me. You brought disaster on me, for I made a vow to the Lord, and I cannot take it back. And she said, Father, if you have made a vow to the Lord, you must do to me what you have vowed. For the Lord has given you a great victory over the enemies, the Ammonites. But first, let me do this one thing. Let me go up and roam the hills and weep with my friends for two months because I will die a virgin. You may go, Jephthah said, and he sent her away for two months. She and her friends went into the hills and wept because she would never have children. When she returned home, her father kept the vow he made. And she died a virgin. So it has become a custom in Israel for young Israelite women to go for four days each year to lament the fate of Jephthah's daughter. Listen. I've read different commentaries on this. and <clears throat> He probably was thinking an animal was going to come out from the house. And that he would use that as the burnt offering. But yet, his daughter came out. And they said because he still had remnants of how they worshipped the other gods in the nation, they actually offered sacrifices. Jephthah did not have to fulfill that. But he did. Yet he was used mightily by God, but yet he missed out of knowing truly what God required. God did not require his daughter to be sacrificed. But Jephthah, he kept a vow that he made, thinking that that's what God would want. We need to know our God, you all. We need to know him and not put on him the attributes of other gods or other idols. It's a lesson we can learn from Jephthah's life. Chapter 12. Then the people of Ephraim mobilized an army, crossed over the Jordan River to Zaphon. They sent this, them, I'm sorry, this message to Jephthah. Why didn't you call us to help you fight against the Amorites? 
we're going to burn down your house with you in it. And Chupla replied, I summoned you at the beginning of the dispute, but you refused to come. You failed to help us in our struggle against Amon. So when I realized you weren't coming, I risked my life and went to battle without you. And the Lord gave me victory over the Ammonites. So why have you come now to fight me? And the people of Ephraim responded, You men of Gilead are nothing more than fugitives from Ephraim and Manasseh. So Jephthah gathered all the men of Gilead and attacked the men of Ephraim and defeated them. Jephthah captured the shallow crossings of the Jordan River, and whenever a fugitive from Ephraim tried to go back across, the men of Gilead would challenge him. Are you a member of the, tri <clears throat> the tribe of Ephraim? They would ask, if a man said, no, I'm not, they would tell him to say whatever that word is. If he was from Ephraim, he would say this word correctly because people from Ephraim could, could not pronounce it, the word correctly. Then they would take him and kill him at the shallow crossings of the Jordan. In all, 42,000 Ephraimites were killed at, the, at that time. Jephthah judged Israel for six years when he died he was buried in one of the towns in Gilead. After Jephthah died, Ibzan was, I'm sorry, from Bethlehem, judged Israel. He had 30 sons and 30 daughters. He sent his daughters to marry men outside his clan, and he brought in 30 young women from outside his clan to marry his sons. Ibzan ruled, I'm sorry, judged Israel for seven years. When he died, he was buried in Bethlehem. After Ibzan died, Elon from the tribe of Zebulun judged Israel for 10 years. When he died, he was buried in that place in Zebulun. After Elon died, Abdon, son of Heliel from Parathon, judged Israel. He had 40 sons and 30 grandsons who rode on 70 donkeys. He judged Israel for eight years. When he died, he was buried at Parathon and Ephraim in the hill country of the Amalekites. And you may wonder, well, why did, why did they point out that they, they have 70 donkeys? It's because they wanted to point out how wealthy he was. It's a sign of wealth. So there we are, the book of Judges. We're getting through Judges. There's lessons that we can learn, that we can apply into our own lives today. And oh, how I pray that you'll go back and you meditate upon what you're hearing. You read the notes that carries taken for us, and that we allow the Holy Spirit to bring truth to our lives, because it's from this truth that we can actually live. Live lives that are honoring God, and we can know our God. John. And give us the introduction to John, you all. We're starting the last gospel. So he spoke, and galaxies whirled into place. Stars burned the heavens. And planets began orbiting their suns. Words of awesome, unlimited, unleashing power. He spoke again, and the waters and lands were filled with plants and creatures running, swimming, growing, and multiplying. Words of animating, breathing, pulsing life. Again he spoke, and man and woman were formed, thinking, speaking, and loving. Words of personal and creative glory. Eternal, infinite, unlimited, he is and always will be the maker and Lord of all that exists. And then he came in the flesh to a tiny spot in the universe called planet Earth, the mighty creator becoming part of his creation, limited by time and space, and susceptible to age, sickness, and death. 
Propelled by love, he came to rescue and save, offering forgiveness and life. He is the Word. He is Jesus Christ. It is this truth that the Apostle John presents in this book. John's gospel is not a life of Christ. It is a powerful argument for the incarnation and conclusive demonstration that Jesus was and is the very heaven-sent Son of God and the only source of eternal life. John's background. Jesus named Zebedee's son, James and John, the sons of thunder, for he knew their tendency to explode. Sure enough, when Jesus and the twelve were rebuffed by the Samaritan village, those rush, rough fishermen suggested calling down fire from heaven to destroy the whole village. Jesus had to calm down the outspoken brothers and explain that vengeance was not his way. Just before that incident, John had told Jesus that he had tried to stop a man from driving out demons because he is not one of us. And Jesus had to explain that he didn't have an exclusive club. For whoever is not against you is for you. In addition to being forceful and angry, James and John also seemed to have, have been quite self-centered. They implored Jesus to do for us whatever we ask. Then they requested seats of honor and power in the kingdom. When the other disciples heard about what James and John had said, they became indignant. Yet, Jesus also saw potential in these thundering brothers. He knew what they would become. So Jesus brought both with Peter into his inner circle, allowing them to see him transfigured on the mountain. And as Jesus was dying on the cross, he entrusted Mary, his mother, to John's care. One might predict that someone with a personality like John's would self-destruct. Certainly this person would die in a fight or in a clash with the Roman government. At the very least, he would be discarded by the church as a self-seeking and power-hungry individual. Both such, I'm sorry, but such was not the case. Instead, John was transformed into someone who was strong but gentle, straightforward but loving, courageous but humble. There's no dramatic event to account for John's transformation. It must have come from being with Jesus being accepted, loved, and affirmed by the Lord, and then being filled with the Holy Spirit. So overwhelmed was John by Jesus that he did not, I'm sorry, he did not mention himself by name in the gospel that bears his name. Instead, he wrote of himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. What a humble change for one who at first had wanted power and recognition. John stands as a great example of Christ's power to transform lives. Christ can change anyone. No one is beyond hope. Jesus accepted John as he was, a son of thunder, and changed him into what he will become, the apostle of love. So the purpose of this book. John gives a clear and straightforward statement of his purpose for writing this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. To achieve this purpose, John shows throughout the gospel that Jesus was, in fact, the Christ of God, the prophesied one, and the only source of salvation. This is the dominant theme of the entire book. 
The Gospel of John was written to convince those who had not seen Jesus to believe in him, to help believers deepen their faith, and to convince unbelievers to trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. In addition, John has several other emphases worth noting. The first one. John shows that Jesus, I'm sorry, John shows that Jewish leaders were completely wrong in rejecting Jesus as a Messiah. John 1:11 makes this clear. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. John continues his emphasis throughout the book. Consider, for example, Jesus' discussion with the Jews in chapter 8. There Jesus calls them illegitimate children, whose real father is the devil. Then the Jews accuse Jesus of being demon-possessed. Finally, after Jesus says, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. The Jews picked up stones to kill him, but Jesus escapes their deadly intent. In chapter 9, we find another confrontation with the Pharisees after Jesus heals a man who has been blind since birth. These incidences and many others are found only in the Gospel of John. Point 2. John shows that Jesus is much greater than John the Baptist. It may be that some followers of John the Baptist were still claiming that he was more important than Jesus. Whatever the reason, John emphasizes that the preeminence of Christ and John the Baptist's special role in preparing the way for him. Third point, John emphasizes the deity and humanity of Jesus. This awesome mystery is expressed in the words of the prologue. The word was God and the word became flesh. Everywhere else in the gospel, Jesus himself declares that he was one with the Father, even the visible expression of the Father. And at the end of the gospel, Thomas makes this wonderful acclamation to Jesus, My Lord and my God. While emphasizing Jesus' divinity and heavenly origin, John also presented Jesus as a real man. It is possible that he did this to confront heresy, promoting the false notion that Jesus that Jesus only seemed to be living a human life, that he was not fully human. So John states directly that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. John also mentions Jesus' family's ties, explaining how Jesus became tired and shows that Jesus really died on the cross. John clearly presents Jesus as the God-man. The fourth one. John shows how people misunderstood Jesus' actions and words. For example, Jesus' listeners misunderstood the identification of his body with the temple, the new birth, spiritual living water, spiritual bread, obedience to God, Jesus' authority, the true bread of life, and the true origin of Jesus. Jesus often explained deeper spiritual truths by using physical examples. Often, however, his listeners couldn't make the connection. They couldn't get beyond the physical to the spiritual understanding. The fifth point, John describes the work of the Holy Spirit, assuring believers of the presence of the risen Christ. Through the Holy Spirit, Christians have Christ with them. They don't have to face life alone. John records Jesus' teaching that the Spirit would be sent to convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment, to guide believers into all truth, to bring glory to Christ. John speaks of the work of the Holy Spirit more than any other gospel writer. The sixth one, John remains, I'm sorry, John reminds believers that unbelief and opposition to God and his plans do not surprise God or thwart his purposes. 
This includes the betrayal of Judas, foretold by the prophets and known by Jesus. The death of Jesus on the cross, a necessary part of God's salvation plan, and the rejection of Christ by unbelievers. Although conflicts are inevitable, God is sovereign and in control, and his goals will always be accomplished. Because of John's special purpose for writing this book, he describes many incidents in the life of Christ that are not recorded in other Gospels. These events include John the Baptist declaring Jesus to be the Messiah, Jesus turning water into wine, Nicodemus visiting Jesus at night, Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus healing a government official's son, Jesus healing a lame man by the pool, Jesus' brothers ridiculing him, Jesus healing the man who was born blind, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, Jesus teaching about the Holy Spirit, Jesus teaching about the vine and the branches, and Jesus appearing to Thomas and reinstating Peter after his resurrection. John, the son of thunder, turned evangelist, knew that people needed to know about the real Jesus. He also knew that as a contemporary of Christ and one chosen, I'm sorry, and one of the chosen 12, he was uniquely suited to tell the story. So compelled by love and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John wrote the gospel. So finally, the message. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, eternal life, believing Holy Spirit resurrection. Because John's purpose was to convince people to believe in Christ. It's not surprising that his message follows the themes listed here. In order to trust Christ, a person must understand Jesus' true identity, the promise of eternal life, the necessity of faith, and the resurrection of Christ. And to live for Christ, a person must understand the person and work of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 1 is where we're heading. Verses 1 through 28. John 1, verse 1 through 28. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through him, the word gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. Verse 5. Oh, that we would grasp this verse. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Oh, perk up and listen to these next few verses. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all, oh, look at this good news, who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn. Not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Oh, have you been born again? So the Word became human and made His home among us. He was 
full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John testified about Him when He shouted to the crowds, This is the one I was talking about when I said, Someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for He existed long before me. From His abundance we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. This was John's testimony when the Jewish leader sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, Who are you? He came right out and said, I am not the Messiah. Well then, who are you, they asked. Are you Elijah? No, he replied. Are you the prophet we are expecting? No. Then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? And John replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah. I am a voice shouting in the wilderness. Clear the way for the Lord's coming. Then the Pharisees who had been sent asked him, If you aren't the Messiah, or Elijah, or the prophet, what right do you have to baptize? And John told them, I baptize with water, but right here in the crowd, my God, is someone you don't recognize. <laughs> Though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. This encounter took place in Bethany, an area east of the Jordan River, where John was baptizing. Oh, come on, you all. So we're ending today in John. What a clear picture that is painted for us. What a clear understanding of truth of who Jesus is. The Word. Eternal word, you all. There's no way around it. Oh, we can try all we want. But oh, that we would know him. Oh, that we will see the fullness of God in Christ. He's fully God. He's fully man. And he came to save us. Full of such love and faithfulness. Like he came at the appointed time at the appointed hour in history, as it will be for the appointed time and the day in the future when he will return, finally, to gather those who belong to him. Let's go to Psalm 101. Coming to a close. Psalm 101. It's a psalm of King David. I will sing of your love and justice, Lord, I will praise you with songs. I will be careful to live a blameless life. When will you come to help me? I will lead a life of integrity in my home. home. I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. I hate all who deal crookedly. I will have nothing to do with them. I will reject perverse ideals and I will steal away. I'm sorry, and I will stay away from every evil. I will not tolerate people who slander their neighbors. I will not endure conceit and pride. 
I will search for faithful people to be my companions. Only those who are above reproach will be approach will be allowed to serve me. I will not allow deceivers to serve in my house, and liars will not stay in my presence. My daily task will be to ferret out the wicked and free the city of the Lord from their grip. This King David, worshiping God. This act of, of, of resolve, of making up his mind, of a way that he's going to live. But we know King David's story. And if you don't, let me share just a little with you. These are great words, David. And know how they should inspire us to live right unto God through Christ. But David's words weren't met with obedience. He laid his eyes upon that woman that did not belong to him. He did things that he ought not to have done. And yet still, God is gracious and God is kind and God is sovereign. And God still allows us to understand that David was a man after his own heart, after God's own heart. David had his failures, but David's failures in the end didn't define him. His love for God does, you all. Oh, we can point at his failures, but ultimately, what stands to testify for King David is God's love towards him and his love towards God. So, oh, I pray that for us this day, that our failures wouldn't define us, but that God's love for us and our love for him would define our lives. Two nuggets of wisdom, Proverbs 14, verse 13 and 14. Proverbs 14, verse 13 and 14. Laughter can conceal a heavy heart, but when the laughter ends, the guilt remains. Backsliders get what they deserve. Good people receive their reward. Oh, how, we, how I pray that we take these nuggets of wisdom that we're hearing weekly, we pray through and we meditate upon them. There's a lot of people hiding behind laughter, but in the end, there's so much guilt and grief and sorrow. Let not laughter be that which conceals the hurt. But let the Holy Spirit bring it forth into the light so that you would be healed. And remember, backsliders get what they deserve. You sow to the flesh, you're going to reap the flesh. But good people receive their reward. It's that kingdom principle. You sow what you sow to, you're going to reap. And oh, how I pray that you're sowing to that which is right, that which is good, that which is honoring to Christ. So I'm going to play this last song for us. I pray that you allow these words to encourage you, and then I'll close us in prayer.
be 